back in the late 60s or early 70s, there were these posters you would see around the Bay Area of this Indian guru named Meher Baba. A um, few of you look like you might be old enough to remember those posters. And he had this big grin and this bushy mustache. And the caption was very simple. It said, don't worry, be happy. That was the whole thing. I was a meditator uh, back then. And so, and, and I remember at the time thinking, well, you know, that's nice, but it's not really that deep. <laughs> it's like you might say it to children. And it was only much later that I was able to appreciate the profundity of that. Um, there's a lot there. And in fact, just take a moment. I, let me say the words <clears throat> and just let them soak in and, and see how it, however it is that it lands for you. Don't worry. Be happy. That's the whole Dharma. If you could really get to the, you know, to the depth and the real depth of, of what, what it's talking about, everything's there. I say that because tonight I'm going to talk about how to work with, it's going to be very practical, how to work with some of the experiences that may arise as samadhi starts to strengthen. And as I talk about some of these, you may or may not be having these experiences. You definitely won't have all the experiences that I talk about. Uh, and there may be some experiences that I don't touch on, but I'm going to hit some of the main things that probably for many people happen. You may not be feeling like Samadhi's um, deepening much at all. Don't worry. Be happy. Seriously. I don't want people to fall into judging or comparing or, oh, I'm not getting this and what everybody's in this and but me. You know, I remember uh, one of my very early retreats and, and I would sit in the hall and everybody looked like these Buddhas. And I remember thinking, look at them all. Everybody's blissed out but me. Right? So we can fall into that, right? Uh, and I want to just re remind you again, I had mentioned the, this Ajahn Chah teaching uh, on the opening night of the chili bush, where our job is to prepare the soil, plant the seed, water it. That's it. That's your part of the equation. You have no control. As a matter of fact, it's not up to you. It's really none of your business how fast it grows or not. That's nature. And similarly here, your job is to show up the best you can and practice the best you can. How, how it unfolds, in what way, how quickly, everything, that's not your business. That's up to the Dharma. And so in remembering about the refuges and taking that refuge in Buddha and Dharma and Sangha, so just things to keep in mind as we talk about some of these experiences that may or may not be happening. It's going to be different for all of us. And finally, remembering that not just on this retreat, but at any time in our practice, whatever level of concentration of samadhi you have is perfectly fine. There's no level you've got to get to. 
we aim ourselves in a wholesome direction, in a skillful direction, and then whatever is happening along the way is just fine. So I'm spending a little time just emphasizing it here because it's, it, you know, we know it's so easy to fall into judging and comparing. Um, and then it creates suffering along the path intended to take us to the end of suffering, oftentimes unnecessary suffering. Second thing to keep in mind is that, and this is very, very important, there, there is no one-size-fits-all instruction that can be given because we're all different. Things unfold differently for each of us. And I'm going to talk about a few different ways of working with some things that I'll mention. There's not just one right way. Um, there's a well-known story of Ajahn Chah where someone was complaining to him that, um, that they noticed that sometimes Ajahn Chah would give certain instruction or teaching, and then other times he would contradict himself or give almost opposite directions. They were, saying, they were complaining to him, and Ajahn Chah said, it's like someone walking down a road and there's a ditch on both sides, and if someone was heading off to the right, he would say, go left, go left. If they're heading off to the left, he'd be saying, go right, go right. So that's kind of the spirit to hold these different instructions that you're going to hear tonight. So I'd like to begin with a quote attributed to the Buddha about samadhi. And the Buddha said, there are five detrimental things that lead to the decay and disappearance of the true Dharma. And what are the five? And then he talks about the, the five are when practitioners dwell without reverence and without deference towards the teacher, towards the Dharma, towards the Sangha, the community, towards the training, and number five, without reverence and deference towards concentration, towards samadhi. That's one of the five detrimental things that lead to the decay and disappearance of the true Dharma. That's a pretty uh, powerful statement. So, um, samadhi is a big deal. We don't want to, uh, and I think we all recognize that or you wouldn't come here, we don't want to make it a bigger deal than it is. We don't want to make it an object of clinging, but we certainly don't want to diminish its importance either. Um, so then the question is, okay, samadhi is important. What's the best way to practice? And I would also like to read something that I thought Jack Cornfield said it very, very well. This was an interview that Jack gave. He said, any practice that cultivates mindfulness and wise effort and investigation and joy and concentration and calm and equanimity and compassion will bring one to liberation. And there are many, many ways to do that. This understanding of the mandala of skillful means is enormously helpful for us as we bring all the Buddhist traditions together in America. The maturity and wisdom of a human being comes when it is possible to see multiplicity, paradox, and complementary differences with a spacious mind and an open heart. And then the interviewer said, well, of course, there are those who will say that's well and good, but there really is a right way that we do need to understand that other paths might be good in certain ways, but they might actually not be leading to what the Buddha was talking about. And Jack responded, that's the conservative position. 
But in fact, if you go back to the old countries of Thailand and Burma and Sri Lanka, you can't get the Theravada masters themselves to agree. I have heard so many masters say, I teach the true way right from the suttas, from the original. This is the real way the Buddha taught. I've heard a whole bunch of masters say that, and yet they contradicted one another when they said it. So I don't buy it. That's called ignorance. The real freedom was what Ajahn Chah understood. The real freedom is the freedom of letting go. It's not the freedom of clinging to what one believes is true or historically correct, because what is historically true is this mandala, and it's not one way. So as you hear me talk about some of these different experiences and different ways to approach practice, keep in mind that there is not a right or wrong here. People seem to have gone very, very deep, and there's these masters who practice in many, many different styles and have really come to a deep place of liberation and awakening. So we want to hold that spirit here. Eugene mentioned how Tan Jeff uh, encourages experimentation and investigation to see for ourselves how it's going and developing. Now, we don't want to be jumping and bouncing around from one thing to another, but we do want to stay open in, in, in bringing that investigation factor and to really see how things are working, how they're fitting for us and not, or not, and bring that in uh, to inform our practice. And before I, last thing before I get into some specific uh, ways of practicing is, please don't try to remember all of this. Uh, you won't remember it, and you won't, don't want to stir up your mind. You want to just keep it simple. What will happen is you'll hear this, let it go in. Some of it you'll, you'll remember. Some of it you won't. But it'll, some of it will be there for you when you need it. With time and with practice, everything I'm going to talk about becomes clear, obvious, and really kind of second nature. And also, teachers are here to work with you individually, so you don't have to remember everything. I just want you to have heard it and then let, you know, kind of let it settle and be simple. So as the samadhi begins to strengthen, we begin to have certain experiences, right? Such as becoming more calm or still or peaceful, or sometimes you can feel is expansive. I'm going to name a number of ways. You won't get all these kind of experiences, right? You can be, it can feel very expansive. It can be very pleasant, or we talked about how it can feel blissful, so we can have bliss. Some people see lights start to happening. Not everybody sees lights, but it can come that way. Um, some people hear sounds. Strong energies can move in the body. Many, many different types of experiences start to happen as the concentration starts to develop and strengthen. You know, basically what we're saying is, how is it you know you're starting to concentrate? You know, when you start to drop in deeply. Those are just, you're having some kind of experience that's telling you that. The settledness, the stillness, the peace, whatever it is. These are the experiences of, the, of samadhi. And they're going to vary greatly for all of us. Um, these are actually what is known as nimittas, the word nimitta. I'm actually going to come back to nimitta in more detail in a bit and talk about specifically ways of working. But they're signs of, they're actually, that's actually not the most accurate way to think of them. They're not signs because signs has the connotation of there's something 
outside of the samadhi that are pointing to the samadhi. They're actually integral and part of the experience of samadhi themselves. Okay, so I'll call them the experiences of, of samadhi, not so much use the word nimitta. Here's an important place to start to notice when the samadhi starts to strengthen. Sometimes <clears throat> you will notice on its own, without you doing anything, that you say you're working with the breath and there's the, just the physical sensations of the breath, however you experience that. And you'll notice that the experiences of samadhi are popping out to your awareness. They're becoming more predominant to you on their own, just naturally, than the, than the sensations of the breath. So if it's bliss, you'll, the bliss might be stronger than the sensation of the breath or whatever you're experiencing. When that happens, if that happens, you don't have to do anything about it. Just notice that that's the way it is for you. That's bringing the mindful knowing of it. Other times, on its own, without you doing anything, it may be just the opposite. Even if the samadhi is quite strong, sometimes the, just the physical sensations of the breath are more predominant. They're popping out to your awareness more predominantly than the experiences of samadhi. You don't have to do anything. Just notice that's bringing your mindfulness, just to notice that that's what's happening. It's very, very simple and light. We're not stirring the mind up. There's a third way it can manifest. And this is kind of hard to describe, but if it happens, it'll be obvious. You don't have to go looking. It's just clear as can be. Both the experiences of samadhi and the sensations of the breath are kind of equal in how predominant they are in your awareness. They're both kind of, they feel like they're kind of mushed in together somehow. They're, they're, you can't separate them out so much. Again, if, if you're not sure about that, don't just let it go. Just stay with your breath, keep it simple. It'll be obvious when that happens. But I want to point to it so you know um, when that happens, notice that it's unfolding that way. Now, just with this simple instruction of starting to bring the mindfulness to how the samadhi experiences are unfolding in relationship to the sensations of the breath, it's actually doing two things. One, we want to start to become aware of how samadhi, as it's unfolding, how it's naturally unfolding for us. And I'm going to come back to that in some more detail to explain what I mean. Because depending on how it unfolds naturally, that could lead into some different directions. Not like one's good or bad, but, and again, I'll explain that in just a few moments. So we're starting to notice what's happening. And then the second thing is, as we tune in more to how it's naturally unfolding, it, it helps us to make some choices in how we may want to steer some of the instructions or how we're working with things later. So again, this will all be clear in, as I continue on. There's another thing that happens too. It's very, very important to strengthen the mindfulness and let it actually strengthen along with the samadhi. And you're actually all doing that already. You don't have to think about this or worry about it much. It's happening. You're being, we're actually practicing mindfulness of breathing. 
So both the concentration, the samadhi, and the mindfulness are both strengthening together. Um, but what can happen sometimes is as the experiences of samadhi get quite strong, we can get pulled into them and lost into them and kind of lose our mindfulness in the same way that in daily life, when we kind of fall into with whatever's going on, we fall into being on automatic pilot and we've lost our mindfulness. Well, it can happen in the samadhi also. And it will happen sometimes and it's, it's not a problem, but the more we start to do some, even little, just simple little things like I just mentioned, being mindful of how it's unfolding, that starts to incline the, the mind towards, it's just another little piece of bringing the mindful awareness in. And a good way to think about this is, even though that's a very subtle little thing we're doing here, and really you only check in maybe a couple of times during the sit just to notice. We don't want to make a project about it. You're mostly just staying with the breath and keeping it simple. But occasionally just check in and notice. The, the, the analogy I have is if you want to head, you know, you've got your compass and say I want to head maybe due north exactly. If I'm even the slightest fraction of a fraction of a degree off from due north, you actually won't notice a difference for a long, long time. Very, very little difference. But once you've traveled very, very far, it really starts to diverge. That little difference becomes quite big. And similarly, in, by bringing the mindfulness in just in little ways in the beginning, it really will naturally pull, come into the samadhi with us more and more. And, it's, and, and you'll see some of the ways that it, it'll be a real ally and strength for us. Basically what we're doing is we're training the mindfulness, as I said, to come up to meet whatever level of samadhi is there. And then it doesn't matter what kind or how strong the samadhi is because the mindfulness is right up there to meet it. Okay, here's another thing you can start to notice occasionally. Sometimes the awareness will feel like it's quite narrowly focused and zoomed in, like say for example if you're being with the breath at the nose. It can, it can be anywhere in the body, but just as an example. And you may notice that it just feels like you're zooming in, you're really getting concentrated, you're kind of coming down. Sally was talking about this term one-pointedness. We can start to be heading in that direction. Other times, the awareness can feel kind of the opposite. It actually feels like it's open more. The, the lens has been widened and broadened, and even though we might still be quite uh, focused with the breath, um, there's a broader awareness there. So there's just two different flavors. You don't have to do anything about that. It's another place to notice. So, so far we're just noticing a few things. Okay. So before I go on, I have to make a very important distinction in a couple of different ways that samadhi can manifest and this is actually quite important to understand but it's simple. Um, so I think Eugene on his first talk was, talk was describing the term samadhi which we translate as concentration and I don't remember if he said this exact word but basically samadhi is the quality of a mind that's undistracted. 
So I'm going to continue to use the word concentration because that's the word we all use. But really a word that I personally like better is undistractedness. Well, this undistractedness can manifest in a couple of ways. If the awareness is getting narrowly focused and continues in that way, if you took it to its culmination, you know, really took it far, ultimately you can get so, it's, it's, it is this term one-pointedness. You could be so concentrated on just a narrow point that literally no other awareness can get a little wedge in there. Nothing else can arise. True, it, it, it can ultimately come to this point. Um, when that happens, if you really took it far, you're so fixed in one-pointed concentration that you literally will lose any awareness of your body. You just, body's gone. And in fact, you can't have any changing experiences at all. You're in this, it's called fixed concentration. So one of the things we're starting to notice by noticing uh, if it's narrowing more, that we might naturally be inclining in that direction. I still haven't suggested what you might do about that yet, but I'm just saying we start to notice we might be heading in that direction, and that will ultimately take us to, I'm not going to talk about jhana tonight, uh, Eugene's going to get into it, but certainly you can go into these types of jhana that teachers, like if any of you have studied with Sayadaw Pawak, for example, he has a type of jhana that goes into this kind of concentration and in which you've lost changing experience. So if you, know, if you go into pure bliss, there's nothing but the experience of pure bliss, say. Or it, it's, there's more we could say about it, but I don't want to get into that too much. So that's one type of it. And I call that, I use the term for that kind of samadhi, one-pointedness. There's a second way which is quite different. It's equal in strength, but just, just a different type. And in this second way, if you, if you took it all the way to its culmination, the mind would also be completely unmoving and still, just as still as in this one-pointed style, except rather than the flow of experiences coming to a stop, the mind itself comes to a stop. Well, don't ask me what the mind is. I, I don't know what the mind is. So I'm, I'm using terms, I'm being a little loose here. But it, it's experientially, the mind stops, but all the flow of experience is still happening. You haven't lost connection with the body. And matter of fact, you're more, it's an enhanced connection. The mindfulness and the clarity is, is 10 times, 100 times, I don't know what, many, many times more clear and effortless and bright. It's a different kind of stillness. I call this kind, I'm still translating the Pali word, uh, the term chittas ekagata, that jhana factor, but rather than translating it as one-pointedness, if I'm, just in order to be clear, I use the term unification of mind so if you hear me saying, you don't have to use these terms, but if you hear me saying unification of mind, I'm talking about that kind of undistractedness. You get the idea here that there's just, it's a different, it's different, right? Again, they're not better or worse. 
I'll say in a few minutes how they're talked about in the texts differently, but it's not just in the text. These are real experiences that you can have. And it's not just one or the other. It's possible to go in one direction, and I'm telling you, you can go one way, and then you can maybe go in another way. I have a way I'm going to suggest you go tonight. I'll give you a hint. It's unification of mind. But, um, and that's really what we've been talking about here on this retreat a lot. But we need to talk about these other ways because this is what's out there. Many, many different teachers talk in different ways, and you're going to be hearing a lot of different ways. And by the time I end tonight, I want to uh, talk in a way that, so that you don't feel confused like, oh, wait a minute, now it's getting more complicated. I thought I was supposed to just be with the breath. Now, all of a sudden, well, which way to go? And how, you know, it, it's, no, no, we're going to keep it simple, and you won't be confused, so don't worry. Basically, you just do what I tell you. And, and, and you'll, be, you'll be fine. <laughs> I'm glad you all laughed. <laughs> if you put more and more of your awareness <clears throat> onto the experiences of samadhi, what I said were called nimittas. If you consciously did that more and more and consciously let go of feeling the sensations of the breath more, what would happen is if you did that is you'll, and I'll explain what I mean by this in a minute, you would tend to absorb into them. Again, this is once it gets quite strong, so this may or may not happen on this retreat, but this is the kind of stuff that's gonna start, can start happening and you'll tend to lose other awareness. So for example, say there's strong bliss coming up, and it can be very compelling, you know, with strong bliss, it can, or light or whatever, this can really, there can be a really a sense, a palpable sense of being pulled in that direction, the awareness, the mind wants to go into it. If you were to go that way, it would take you into this one-pointed style you would lose awareness of your body, You'd, and it would be just only, when you really absorbed into it, you would just feel light, or bliss, or sound. It can come in through any of the sense doors there. And in fact, um, when you hear teachers say, I'm not gonna get into this much tonight, but when you hear teachers say that concentration and insight are different types of meditation, this is part, this isn't the whole story, but this is part of what they're talking about, because if you emphasize the pure concentration experiences, you are in fact doing something quite different than insight meditation. As I said, you're losing experience, say, of your body. You can't feel, once again, this is if you take it quite far. But even if you don't go all the way, we can start heading in those directions and, and it can start to get like this. For insight practice, you have to have changing experiences, right? We need to stay connected with our bodies, with our hearts, with our minds, with the whole range of our experience. So we can see anicca, dukkha, anatta, the three characteristics, right? This is, this is, so if we practice in a way, we can practice concentration in a way that is a distinct practice from insight. And then later we'll make a conscious shift to not get so absorbed using the, that, the, the power of concentration we've gained, but making sure we stay consciously connected with changing experiences. And that's why maybe insight might be a different kind of practice. 
And again, this is not only tr true only if you go into these deep absorption states, but at any stage of samadhi. And there's another style, I've already pointed to it here, of practice in which the concentration and the insight aren't necessarily separated into different paths or style. That's more the unification of mind style, where the mind's becoming more, less and less distract, more and more undistracted. And it can go into John and all these absorptions and everything, but you don't lose the changing flow of experience. It's more the unification of mind style. The mind stops, but all the experiences are happening. In that case, um, and I'm going to say more about this in the next talk I'm going to give. I think it's Monday night. I'm going to talk about the role of samadhi in satipatthana, the four foundations of mindfulness. And I'm actually going to get into these differences in different ways. They're all good ways, but different ways you might practice. So here I'm just, I'm not going to go into that much, but to know there is a way of practicing. Again, I want to be really clear. It's not better. There are just these different ways in which you, don't, you can let the samadhi run as, go as far as you want. Go for it. I, I want you guys, I, mean, I want you to be blissed out. You know, go to jhana as far as you want to take it. It's fine. And you don't have to come out of that. As far as you take it, it's fine. We just bring the mindfulness up to meet it. That's all. A little bit of samadhi, you have to bring the mindfulness up to meet it rip-roaring strong samadhi, you need some strong mindfulness. So we want to start to cultivate it along the way as we go. By the way, I call this the have your cake and eat it too style of meditation practice. Have your samadhi and your insight. So how do we do this? We need some skill in working with these experiences of samadhi. Remember I said, I use this term nimitta. So let me give you an example, and I'm going to keep bringing this, this wonderful meditation master named Sayadaw, Burmese Sayadaw Pawak. And I'm bringing him in because, uh, um, because he's very clear in a very specific type of practice, and I think it highlights. And if any of you ever met him, um, he's a wonderful teacher and um, He's one of these people that when you're around him, there's a palpable sense of his presence. And just, he's also just loving, and it's just, just this, he's just this wonderful being, if you ever get a chance to be around him. Um, for him, he's very, very specific. For him, he wants you to get this nimitta, and he defines it very specifically. It's a light that comes in the mind. You have to see a light. Now, Sally mentioned to me, we were talking about this, a little earlier today, and she said that um, actually when he works one-on-one -on -one with people, he might steer them a little away from the light if it's not really working for them. So maybe that's true, but basically, so I would just want to say that in case I'm not getting exactly accurately, but pretty much everything it's about, nimit, all he cares about is nimitta, seriously. And um, I, I, a friend of mine was with him for two months at the Forest Refuge, and she came back laughing. She had a great retreat. She says, all he cared about was nimitta. I didn't want to hear about anything else. And for him, it's very specific. A light comes. It's a mental image. Um, and when that comes, then you work, you stay with the breath, you stay with the breath. You don't immediately switch to focusing on the nimitta. It needs to develop. But when it develops to a certain point, and I won't go into the details, but it's described in the text very uh, precisely, it gets to a certain point and it's a sign of what's called, you'll hear the term access concentration. 
that's axis concentration. You get this nematode, and, and then it develops to a certain point of, of a nematode, and that's axis concentration. In case you're interested, that term, it's not in the suttas at all. That actually term, axis concentration, developed in the later commentarial tradition, just in case you're interested. <clears throat> it doesn't mean it's better or worse. It's just different. And um, once that nematode comes, he wants to let go of the breath, put your whole wholehearted, ex just as you were being wholehearted, focused on the sensation of the breath, now he wants it on that mental image. It's not coming in through your eyes, but it's experienced as a visual, as if you were seeing a light. It's quite strong if you get it. And then what happens is, you, what we call absorb, there's a, it just it is a, it's compelling if you ever experience it. It's like, and and it it's, feels good, it's pleasant, and you pull into the light. And then there you are, just like I was talking about, you're in this one-pointed, it's what I call exclusive, I don't think I said that earlier, this one-pointed samadhi, I refer to it as exclusive because you're exclusively on a point and it excludes everything else. Whereas unification of mind I call inclusive because it's open and it includes everything else. So you're going into this exclusive kind of awareness. And then later, very explicitly in his system, you have to come out of jhana into a level of samadhi where you can feel changing experiences again. And then you do this other practices he has you do, very extensive and detailed insight practices. First of all, most people don't get a light, I don't think. I, don't, I haven't, from my, I, I, I'm guessing most people don't get a light. Definitely lots of people don't. It can come through any of the sense doors. It can come in as sound. The experiences of samadhi, sound, bliss. It can be in the body, through the body sense door. That's how I tend to get it more. I can get some lights, but it could be bliss in the body, right? All these things I mentioned earlier, the experiences of samadhi. And so actually I knew someone who spent a lot of time with Powak and when he came back from a long, long retreat, I said, How are you how'd you do? And he says, I didn't get any jhana. And we talked about it some more, and it's like, I really question that. He didn't get a light. So if you define it and only remember what I said earlier, there's not a one size fits all instruction. So for the people for whom it develops that way, it's a great system, it works great. It, it may or may not be a fit for you. Definitely very powerful for some people. When the, when the experiences of, of the samadhi arise, whatever it is, a light, sound in the body, whatever, I'm suggesting you do the exact opposite of what Powak says, seriously. It's just a different style, the opposite. Rather than you put everything into the nimitta, I want you to bring the nimitta into the body. It's opposite. Now, what I'm talking about with these nimittas, I've gotten probably a little ahead of most people. I don't want, I, I want you to have heard this and then I want you to set it aside. And I'm suggesting that you just stay with the breath. Don't be too quick to try and start bringing these things in the body and um, keep it simple. This is what to happen when, if these nimittas get strong and compelling. Then we need to know how to work with them and I'm suggesting how to work with them. Now for some of us, 
the nematodes naturally suffuse through the body rather than us naturally being pulled into it. It naturally goes the other way and it comes to the body. So you want to see how it's naturally unfolding. And then we need to be clear about which way we want to head. So if you wanted to go, say, if you were working with Powak, then you'd want to naturally incline the mind in a different way. or you know. So this, we have to just be aware of that. So what I want to do is I want to reread. Um, Eugene read the simile for the first jhana in his talk. <clears throat> and I'm just going to read it again, the simile. Not the definition, but the simile. So you've entered the first jhana. And then it says, you make the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion, drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body. So you're bringing it into the body. It's very clear and precise and actually an accurate description of the way it, it is. And the, these similes are, are, are very accurate. And pervade your, your whole body. So there's no part of the body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. And then there was this image of the bath man. Just as a bath man or bath man's apprentice heaps bath powder in a metal basin and sprinkles it gradually with water, kneads it until the moisture wets his ball of bath powder, soaks it and pervades it inside and out, and yet the ball itself does not ooze. What he's doing is making soap, right? You take this thing called powder and something else called water and you mix them together and then you, you don't have two separate things. I mean, you do, I guess, if you had a you know, an electron microscope, you could see there'd be different molecules, but really you've got this one thing, soap, right? It's, it's, it's unifying into something new, right? In that same way, so we're putting some effort in, that's what you're doing right now, you're, eff you're putting some effort in. You notice here at this point, it's not talking about you staying with the breath. At this point, you've got rapture and pleasure. I mean, we're talking about some strong experiences here. The instructions have changed now at this point. You're probably not there yet. You stay with the breath. <laughs> Just don't even go there. You come talk to us when it starts. Seriously, come talk when it starts to happen. Stay with the breath. Stay with the breath. But this is when it really gets strong and compelling. It's telling us what to do. The practitioner makes the rapture and pleasure in the same way, drench, steep, fill, and pervade the body. You're consciously, you're actually, there's a sense of doing here, bringing it in through the body if it's not doing that naturally. This suffusing, this rapture and pleasure, suffusing these experiences of samadhi is both the way into jhana and it's the nature of the state of this first jhana that it's talking about. let that go out of your mind. Another thing that can happen. As the samadhi strengthens, it can begin to develop, it will begin to develop its own momentum. It starts to become more effortless. And many of you may already be experiencing that. You know, the difference between when you're working hard and you're not very concentrated, and then when you're quite settled in and concentrated, doesn't, can't it feel a lot more easeful and effortless? You're still putting in some amount of effort, but it's, it's kind of a little bit 
bring its own momentum in there, right? The sense of doing gets lighter and lighter and lighter, and the sense of the the just it's still inclining the mind, but but just kind of being and connecting, but not such a strong sense of doing happens. So I just want to quickly read um, a little bit more of these similes to you so you can get a sense of how it unfolds. So I understand we're talking about, the, there's what, there's, it turns out there's these four jhanas, and I understand we haven't gotten there yet, so don't worry about that. <clears throat> um, but listen to this quickly. It's, it's, a, it's a simile of the second jhana. It starts to shift, and it's actually quite descriptive of what happens. So now you're in the second jhana. And again, you make the rapture and pleasure um, drench, steep, and pervade the body, but the image is a little different. Just as though there were a lake whose waters welled up from below and it had no inflow from east, west, north, or south. but the cool fount of water was welling up from within, deep within the lake. So there's no part of the lake unpervaded by cool water. So too the practitioner makes the rapture and pleasure drench steep and fulfill the whole body, so there's no part of the whole body unpervaded. Similar to the first jhana, but the image is a little different. Instead of from this external effort and energy of the bathman really working and needing and a lot of effort, it's still some doing pervading, but it's coming from a deeper place. It, it feels a lot quieter to me somehow, right? It's just a little more still, not quite as active. Well, when you get to the third jhana, it changes quite a bit. You're in the third jhana and it says, just as in a pond of blue or red or white lotuses, some lotuses that are born and grow in the water thrive, immersed in the water without ever rising out of it. And cool water drenches, steeps, fills, and pervades them to their tips and their roots so that there's no part of all those lotuses unpervaded by the cool water. So too the practitioner makes the pleasure uh, drench, steep, and, and pervade the body. There's no sense of doing here at all. It's just more of a sense of being. These lotuses, they're born, they live and die. Their entire lives are completely suffused and submerged in the water. You don't have to do anything, it just is. It's a state of being, not doing. Fourth jhana. Just as though a man, so you, you, you sit pervading the body with a pure bright mind. So there's no part of the whole body unpervaded by a pure, bright mind. Well, that's an interesting. First of all, it's, it's, it's not disconnected from body awareness. It's, you get the, it's so powerfully connected that this is, the image is consistently immersed in the body. Just as though a man were sitting covered from head to foot with a white cloth so that there would be no part of his whole body not covered by the white cloth. So too, the practitioner sits pervading the body with a bright mind, so there's no part of his whole body unpervaded by a bright mind. Sense of doing is gone. It's just a, it's just a sense of being. So the thing I want you to I, I want to get to here is actually when you get into deeper st states, 
you can't do. Even in the deeper, I, I want to be a little careful. I mean, you can kind of incline the mind, and uh, so maybe I'm making too strong of a, I don't want to make a categorical statement like that, but the sense of doing it, because the mind's so still, it's not that active and engaged, right? Even though it's clear and present and knowing, it gets subtler, I'll say it that way, what you can do. The important point of all this is at some point, the whole practice shifts from doing and the, it really starts at ultimately it's happening on its own. And when this happens again, it's clear, it's obvious. And your job is just, you're just connecting and you're, there's still some con, you know, being there and being present, and, but it really has its own momentum. You're putting in the work, you're building the momentum, and then it takes on its own power and, and takes off. So what happens is we wanna be on the lookout Actually, I don't want to say it that way because that stir the mind up too much. But you'll notice naturally and easily at some point when that its own momentum starts to come in and then there's like a transition and we can start also tuning into that dropping back and letting go that happens so that its momentum can take in and go. And that's an important place of, of being able to really drop in not so much doing on the breath, but sort of just letting it go, but not letting go of the connection. The connection really is strong. Is that clear? It's just a place to be watching for when it, when it starts to take on its own momentum. Another thing that can happen is strong energies can arise in the body that can be very strong. This does not happen to everyone, but it certainly can. Intense bliss lights, sounds that can be quite strong or loud can happen. Strong energy just coursing through the body can happen. A lot of very strong experiences. <clears throat> if these become extremely strong, we need some skillful means to work with them. And so this may or may not happen. It may for a few people already be happening. It may not happen at all to you. If the mindfulness is strong and the equanimity and the undistractedness, the stability of the mind is strong, it doesn't matter if those samadhi experiences are quite powerful because we're stable, we're undistracted. We can, we can sort of take refuge in the mindfulness itself, if you will. And then they're just like any other experiences and they don't bother us and we don't have to do anything with them. And that's one possible way of working with them. However, sometimes these very powerful experiences can be too much for us. It feels overpowering or it's really shaking us, buffeting us. We're not able to be clear and mindful and steady and present with us, with them. Sometimes it can feel like they're overpowering us. And then we, we need to bring the intensity down. Uh, or we need to strengthen the mindfulness could be another approach. And sometimes that can work. We know, oh, I just, we remember, oh, I need to take refuge. I've had sometimes very, very powerful experiences that happen. They kind of took, and I'll talk in a minute how fear can sometimes arise. And in some of these, if it really gets strong. And I would remember 
refuge in the mindfulness and I would drop back and just rest in the mindfulness and then from that place whatever happened could arise and pass away it was fine it wasn't a problem so that may work for you however there are times when we really do need to bring the intensity down and then there's many ways to work with it I'll just name a few if that's happening for you definitely come talk to one of us and we'll work with you and see what's going on it, it totally can be worked with no matter what's going on so it's not a problem even if it's real powerful there's nothing to worry about at all but we want to come talk to us and work with it um, sometimes we can let if it's strong energy we let it flow out the hands and the feet and just kind of drain it out into the ground breathe it out maybe Sometimes we might want to open our eyes and reconnect with, you know, come out of the meditation, just get back into the normal world a little bit. Um, connect to the work, to the earth. You know, you know, if if it's re if it really needs a lot of help, well, I don't know. We'll take you outside and let you dig in the dirt, you know, and really seriously and connect to the earth or something. There's lots of different possibilities. Um, instead of sitting, if you walk and just get on the land or breathe some some calming breaths or sometimes just being present with somebody else is enough to bring it down just talking with the teacher and being with them and having them just kind of be really with you you know sometimes that does it. so I won't say more now but just to be aware that you know if that were to happen to you that's the skillful way to work so I've got a couple more quick things I'll say um, as probably most or maybe all of us know, these experiences of samadhi can be quite compelling and we can get lost in them. I mean, let's face it, it feels great. It does. It, as I, it's also important to recognize, I think, as Adrienne, I really appreciated in her talk last night. I, I was sorry I couldn't be with you. I had to teach down the hill in the community hall last night, but I listened to her talk and I appreciated what she's talking about, the PT that can, can be pleasant, but it can also have it can be unpleasant so yes that's true but there's also going to be a compelling we want more I, I remember being this was it's probably happened more than once but the time I'm remembering being on retreat and you know I wanted to get bliss I wanted to get bliss and then I got bliss but it wasn't all it was doing was increasing the craving in my mind and I remember the word came up in my mind more you know, my mind was just, I might as well have been down in my favorite chocolate, chocolate shop gorging myself and going more and more, you know, it's the same thing, but it was just for samadhi. So I was in a totally defiled state of mind. And the Buddha warns us for this. And so look, sometimes we do get clinging and craving after samadhi. Okay, it happens. You know, it's not the end of the world. It, it does lead to suffering, but all right, you know. <laughs> you suffer a little bit and it's it's okay and we learn right just like we we learn when we when we suffer when we're not getting the bliss right when we learn it's all about the letting go so we just want to be aware that in all of these different no matter how we're working no matter what's going on don't beat yourself up, but just notice if the mind's craving and clinging, because what it's really doing, it's taking something that's beautiful and wholesome and skillful, and it's turning into a corruption and a defilement. And the Buddha talked about this a lot. 
He said over and over that samadhi should not be feared because it should not, it should not, it should be pursued, it should be cultivated. He said it clearly, but not for its own sake. And so often we, we practice in order to cultivate meditative states, right? Instead of for its in service of the insight, which is, which is in service of the liberation through non-clinging. So just want to keep that in mind. And then finally, one last thing is that I touched on this earlier, but sometimes we do interstates that are unfamiliar to us. Maybe the normal reference points start to dissolve away, maybe. We get into new territory of consciousness or of the mind that's unfamiliar and it can feel shaky or sometimes fear can come up. Um, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's happened to me before. And um, what can happen sometimes is when the fear comes, it really we can contract back. And, we, and so a, f a few tips on that. One is like we want to be respectful certainly not push ourselves into anything and you know, sometimes you sort of touch on something a little and you maybe you do pull back touch on it okay well uh, maybe it's not so bad you pull back you know you, you gain some familiarity so you, that's up to you how you work with it but the most important tip just that's been helpful for me is letting the mindfulness be your refuge then so even if something's happening and, it, and it's completely unfamiliar and you don't know just resting in the mindfulness and try it out for yourself it's, and, and just see if that can be an aid, if, if you ever do find this happening, to then, I found then things that used to be a little scary, not that they weren't, it was only scary because of, in my case, I'm not trying to plant in your mind that something bad's gonna happen, you know, it's not like you're there and all of a sudden something's gonna pop out and go boo and it's, it's not like that. It's just that things can kind of open up and things that are unfamiliar, that's all, they're not bad, but they might just be unfamiliar and then, might not be a problem or it might just be, I'm not comfortable if it's unfamiliar. That's, that's all I'm talking about. So don't, nothing bad's gonna happen to you. And of course, if that's happening, then if, if being mindful is not enough, we wanna stay, be aware to um, bring the intensity down or back out if we need to. <clears throat> so those are the main things I wanted to touch on tonight. And as I said, just to remind you, you don't have to remember all this stuff, not to stir your mind up. It's just some of the kind of ways things can unfold, some of the possible ways you might approach them. And for some things, I've offered a couple of different ways you approach things. So to end, I want to offer two things. One is just take a moment if you're not already doing so, to mindfully connect in with your body, states in your heart and mind, and just notice how you're doing. There's a lot was here in this talk and a lot of stuff, and I felt quite energetic, so, you know, there was that energetic quality coming, and so, you know, you just see, you know, where you, how you're, how it's, it's all landed for you. And then the last thing I want to offer is 
to have you reflect on your own sincere and good qualities that you bring into this retreat and into your practice. Sometimes it's not easy for people to find their own goodness. And, you know, if you're really having trouble, um, and I'm not going for a laugh here, seriously, come, you come talk to me. Or talk to one of us if, you, if you're having trouble. It's important to connect in with that, and it brings us back to that place. You know, when we connect and know we're, we're, we, ha- we're, we have these good qualities, yes, we're human beings, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect. And knowing that we um, are doing the best we can here. And we've come here in sincerity, right, to practice, and we're doing the best we can. It can help bring in that wisdom of Meher Baba that I want us really to hopefully not forget. And once again, you do the best you can with what he, his suggestion. We just, the best we can. Don't worry. Be happy. So thank you all for uh, listening this evening. I appreciate your presence. And let's just take a few moments um, just to sit quietly together. May the power of all of our sincere good intentions be the cause and condition for happiness, peace, and liberation. Please enjoy your walking period. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.